like that for us. So we're in Matthew 18 uh, today, and I'm going to read from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, do turn to it please. Matthew 18, starting at verse 15. If you don't, um, then just listen please, and I will read clearly and accurately as I can. So it starts this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought to, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive from your heart. Amen. So passages of today about forgiveness. The world uh, is littered with broken or strained relationships. You don't need me to tell you that. That's not profound big news to you today, is it? 
uh, broken or strained relationships uh, in communities, between nations, uh, even in former friendships, in families. The world is littered with them. And all basically down to sin. The consequences of this strained or broken relationships is experienced by both the innocent and what we might say is the guilty, the pain of shattered relationships. And the Bible teaches us that God's desire is for broken relationships to be restored, for broken relationships to be restored. Sin breaks and strains relationships. But reconciliation is in the heart of God. That is his great desire. For where there is a broken relationship or a strained relationship, for that either to be repaired or strengthened, the reconciliation of relationships. Last week, uh, we were just in the passage above, and we thought there of a parable about little ones. Now, little ones was how the Lord Jesus Christ described those who had came to him in childlike faith. That's how everyone comes to Christ in childlike faith, to trust in him. As a child would hopefully trust their parents. But the little ones, some might sometimes uh, go astray. They had sinned. And in the heart of God, we saw last week, was the, the joy in restoring someone back to a healthy relationship with himself. His desire was to go out and bring people back to himself. He didn't want them to suffer the pain and grief that comes from that. And that's the real message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is a message about reconciliation. The Bible tells us quite clearly how God at great cost has provided a way that we, each individual, can be reconciled to him. That we can have a right relationship with God. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, a church in Corinth some 2,000 years ago in Greece, he said this. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation. So Paul said, I'm going out with a message. It's called the gospel, but it's a message of reconciliation. A, rec a message about how sinful men, women, children can be individually reconciled to a holy God. You know, sin separates us from God. We, we don't live in a good relationship with God if we're in sin. We rebel against him, we disobey against him, we might not have nothing to do with him, we neglect him, reject him. So we are separated and God's justice says that that sin must be paid for. There must be a penalty. There will be a penalty. There will be a time of reckoning for this rebellion against him. He says in the book of Exodus that he will be by no means clear the guilty. By no means clear the guilty. And when we hear that we think, if that's a general principle in this world, he will by no means clear the guilty. We think that's wonderful, don't we? I hope you do. 
because justice will be done. We can think of people who are guilty of heinous crimes. And God says he'll by no means clear them. There will be a day when they will be called to account for what they have done. But friends, that's true for you and I. That's true for you and I. But God himself has planned and initiated a way for us to be reconciled to him. His heart is for individuals who have strayed from him, who have maybe lived a lifetime in neglect and away from him, to be reconciled to him. How did he do that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is perhaps the most succinct verse which speaks about how God has provided a way where you can be reconciled to him. And it's not for your works, any sort of things that you might do. Listen to this, please. For our sake, he, speaking of God, made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have a God, friend, there is a God whose heart is for us as individuals to be reconciled, to be restored to him. And it's not just something in his mind or imagination, he thinks that will be a good thing. The Bible tells us that at a huge cost, he sent his son into the world, who have now read, who knew no sin, who did no sin, totally unique from us. And at the cross he bore the punishment for sin. At the cross, Jesus Christ took the punishment for sin. The guilt of sinful man was imputed to him, accredited to him, if you like, assigned to him. So that God now can forgive all who come to him. All who have sinned, no matter what their background and past and anything like that, there's not a message of shape up and then come. It's a message of come, then he will change you. And so the gospel message is that God can forgive sin because of what Christ has done on Calvary's cross. There can be reconciliation between you and God. And God has provided a way and God desires you. But if I could put it how the Bible puts it, God commands you to repent and of your sin and have faith in Jesus Christ and instantly because of what Christ has done there is forgiveness of sin it has come at enormous cost enormous cost and great God has said I will bear the cost if you like I will bear the cost whereby you can come to me I will forgive on the basis of Christ paying the price so in the courtroom You can know that you have been justified in God's sight. Undoubtedly, unequivocally, reconciliation and restoration are in the very heart of God. Restoration where we can be reconciled to him. And as we'll think, particularly in our text today, then that spills over into how we're meant to live our lives. That the relationships that can be strained, can be broken even. His desire is for believers, for Christians to have restored relationships, to forgive. To forgive. Now we're going to see 
that there's great cost in that. Huge cost in that to a person, perhaps. And the themes of repentance, restitution, that means putting things right, and trust need to be considered as well. And so today's passage really speaks to the believer who is sinned against by another Christian. Of course, a Christian is a person who has had their sins forgiven by God and are reconciled to him. And that really then, as you could understand, is the basis by which they then live their lives and understand how they can forgive. And what we're seeing in verses 15 to 20, we're just going to speak about this uh, fairly quickly today, hopefully. Well, you'll be hopeful. Uh, We're going to see 15 to 20 pursue reconciliation God's way. Pursue reconciliation God's way. And verses 21 to 35, where we looked at that parable of the king and his servants, forgive others as God forgives. So let's think about that. Christians will sin. Again, that's not newsworthy. We know that. God's desire is for the Christian to live a life of practical holiness there can be sin and out of love for a person and a genuine desire for their restoration in relationships there is the pursuit of someone not to punish but for restoration and reconciliation in a relationship and as we consider this we're going to think Uh, about this idea of pursuing and of confronting someone because that's what the scripture is telling us to confront someone if they've sinned against you confront them and and if they listen to you if they repent then forgive them and that's what we've got today we've got it in Luke chapter 17 as well we see that quite clearly but I do want to say today that there's more that scripture says about forgiveness than just this passage yes absolutely but we're not to be obsessive confronters that's not the idea that is not the idea we're not always to be if someone has sinned against us or we actually in often cases we think they have you know because we take offense quite easily and maybe they haven't but we don't always confront. We don't need to always confront. Could you imagine what it would be like in your household if you always did that? If every time I did wrong, my wife confronted me, that'd be all the time, wouldn't it? You know, and in friendships, that'd be all the time. But there's a freedom of forgiveness, what we might call unconditional forgiveness. Don't confront all the time in the church, in the family, in marriage, in friendships. You don't need to. Love, Peter says, covers a multitude of sins. If you love each other, you'll cover that. Uh, Mark says, you know, you might be standing praying and you might remember something. Forgive that person. But what we're thinking about today is some things cannot be overlooked like that. There are some things which need to be dealt with. It might be serious. It might be harmful to the offender if you do not confront them. It might be something quite scandalous as well. It might be something where there's really a broken relationship. And the Lord Jesus addresses that. And what he says, as we've read together, we're going to follow this through, he says, if your brother sins against you, go. Now he doesn't say go and tell everyone else about it. You'll notice that, yeah? Go and report it to everyone else and mention it to everyone else. No, don't do that. Go and tell him his fault. Now if we've got his, it could be his or her. We get the idea, don't we? 
If an individual has done wrong against you, and you think they have, or even if they're doing any wrong, because Luke 17 doesn't just say against you, it says your brother has sinned, you go. You go. It's not to be telling others about it. But what God tells us to do is to go and in the spirit of desiring their good, in the spirit of desiring a reconciliation and restoration of relationship, go to them. Yes, you are making a judgment on their actions, and that's fine. The reverse is sometimes bandied around where people say, well, you shouldn't do that. Of course you should. You make a judgment on the actions, that's wrong. And no, you're not casting a stone when you go to them because you're not punishing them. You're not condemning them in that. You haven't said this is the punishment. You're going. You're not punishing them. You're going with the idea that they will see their sin. They will repent of that, apologise for that, express sorrow with regards to that in the right manner. And as we've seen, the Lord Jesus says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So there's the idea. You go as an individual, not telling everyone else, not expecting others to go because you don't want to, and listen. Someone might listen to you and say, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. You're right. I'm wrong in what I've done or what I've said. I confess that. Very sorry about that. And wherever necessary, there is restitution. That means to put things right. To put things right as much as possible. Luke 17.3 says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Okay, so then that is reconciliation. That is how we can be forgiven by God. When we think of the gospel, we are confronted with our sin. We repent of our sin and can be forgiven. There's a cost born and Jesus Christ bears the price. And we, it is said there in this conditional, there's this restoration. One party, one party repents, the other one forgives and there is restoration. If those two things don't happen, there's not truly restoration and reconciliation. Now, I can forgive, but if you have not repented and you carry on like that, then the re- re- relationship has not really been restored. And the other way works as well. You can, I can repent of something, but if you're not willing to forgive me, then the relationship has not been restored properly. I think we can understand that, can't we? If we take, a, you know, if we take an example, um, say a really bad example, for instance, um, in a marriage and there's been unfaithfulness, Say there was an unfaithfulness in a marriage. And that one party says, I forgive you. But the other one's not sorry and just carries on doing that, doesn't see any wrong. There's not really a restoration and reconciliation there. And the other way around, the other one can say, I'm sorry, the offender. I'm really, really sorry for that. I shouldn't have done it. I was completely wrong in doing that. I apologise. I wouldn't do that again. My behaviour will be a so You'll see that. But the offended party doesn't forgive. There's not really reconciliation. And that. So repentance must come, as we see in this confrontation. And you know, we see in our world today, and we've seen it around, you can see it, you know, things that are not true repentance. Let me illustrate. I'm sorry if I hurt you. That is not repentance. 
All you're doing is saying you're sorry for how I feel. And you'd be sorry for how I feel. You might be sorry that I'm hurt. But that's not saying anything about what you've done. I'm sorry that you feel like that. Again, you're not saying anything. You're not taking accountability. If I say that to you ever, correct me. Because I'm not expressing sorrow for what I've done. I'm just expressing sorrow for how you feel. Which is nothing. I made a misjudgment. Well, we've heard that in recent months. I made a misjudgment. No, you've done wrong. Let's take ownership and apologise for that. But what the Lord Jesus tells us is no matter how serious the offence, the offender must be forgiven. Genuine repentance must be reacted to with genuine and sincere forgiveness. Because that is how God is towards us in the gospel. We'll see in this parable, you know, of the great debt that a servant owed. And he was forgiven. And if you're a Christian, your debt against God was absolutely massive. And if you're a Christian, you have been forgiven so much. I have been forgiven so much. All this dishonour and rebellion against God. And the sins I still commit have been forgiven. And so when I'm asked to forgive another person, it's minuscule in comparison. You have won your brother. Relationships will be reconciled. He'll be restored. That is what the heart of this is about. The heart of pursuit is reconciliation. Not to point out what someone's doing wrong. Not to punish them at all. But to win them, to be reconciled to yourself and to God. But of course the Lord Jesus says, well that might not happen. So if that doesn't happen, here's what you've got to do. You're not to give up. Don't give up and say, well they didn't listen, that's it, we're done. We're finished, well, end of. No. No, because his heart is for reconciliation, restoration. Go with two or three witnesses. Uh, go, go with them and, and establish it. Because I desire that this person, the relationship be restored. You're not to give up. Keep going. And go with two or three. Take them along. Maybe they witnessed it originally. Maybe they're just there to witness what's being said is done in the right manner. And the offender will, hopefully by God's grace, realise the seriousness, repent and be restored. But the Lord Jesus says, well that might not happen. If it doesn't happen then, don't give up. Don't give up. You have to tell it to the church. You know, the church, the, the gathered company of believers... And why are you telling it to that? So they can think how scandalous this is? How, what a reproach this is? You're telling it. Because one of the little ones has gone astray. And you've gone yourself. And others have gone as well. But still the person is rebelling. And you desire, you deeply desire that person to come back. Tell it to the church. And then they will pursue, should pursue, the unrepentant and ongoing sin, you see. However serious it is, the unrepentant and ongoing sin. If there's been repentance in any of those other stages, no need. No need to tell anyone else. There's been restoration. They don't need to know at all. And the purpose of those in a church coming 
and pursuing that person, praying about it, is the same again and again. The greater good of that person and that restoration to relationship. Well, after that, whatever time period that takes, the Lord Jesus says this, you know, if they're still not going to do it, then there's another step, that they might realise the seriousness of their sin, the seriousness of it. What you have to do is, we could use the word excommunication. The unrepentant sinner must be removed from the church. Now that's not the physical building with some bodyguards taking them out, that's not the idea. But from the fellowship of believers. And that isn't the end It's a means towards still the desired end. Still the means towards the desired end. That God desires this person to be reconciled to others and to himself. And that final step is to put them out of the church. He writes that to the believers at Corinth once about a sexually immoral person. He says, you're not doing them any favours at all by leaving them in. You think that's graceful to do that and that's merciful. No, he says it's not. It's not at all. You've got the wrong end totally there. Don't associate with the sexually immoral. That's the ongoing. Don't associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, reviling, drunkenness or swindling. Don't even eat with such a one. And of course God desires the purity of the church. He says, purge the evil person out. But all of this, friends, is in the heart of God. This is laid down by the Lord because he desires, again those words, reconciliation and restoration to people, to himself. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. That sinners might be reconciled to him, individuals that you might be. That you might then live a life that is pleasing to him. But if you go astray, he desires you to come back. And these are the steps, the means by which he wants us to take. Now there's encouragement given, because this sounds harsh, doesn't it? To some people this sounds incredibly harsh. It's not really, it's God's ordained way. It's God's ordained way. But he gives encouragement. And he says to those who do it, whatever you bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. He's not really saying heaven's rubber stamping whatever you do. But heaven is in agreement with the church's verdict in a properly handled case like this. Heaven is in agreement with that. And he gives an encouragement because it might seem lonesome. And he says, you know, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst them. You know, that, that promise in scriptures often been used in other contexts and it doesn't need to be it's really given his promise that his presence will be there his presence will be there when such a process is being taken out of restoration the very presence of Christ spiritually is there when two or three are gathered speaking maybe to the sinful person when you're there, he'll be there because he is interested in it that is the great encouragement now So reconciling God's way. But quickly forgiving as God has forgiven you. Because Peter comes with a question. Okay, the idea of forgiven uh, and the brother repents, uh, I understand that. But Peter's thinking, well, how many times then? 
how, how often, you know, I mean, it's a, you know, a couple of few times, do you think that would be a good idea? And the Lord Jesus, well, Peter sort of says seven. He thinks he's being quite gracious there, seven times. But no, Jesus says 77 times. Now, it's either 77 or 70 times seven, which is 490. But here's the idea. You're not meant to keep counting. You're not meant to keep counting. You keep on doing that. You know, Father, forgive them, was the words of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. His first cry from the cross to those who put those nails through his hands and through his ankles, nailing him there, scorning and mocking him. The first cry that Jesus Christ had on the cross was this, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And he says, forgive them. And he tells this story. And we've read it, haven't we? A king who is all-powerful. And he calls people to account. And one servant is seen to owe him a fantastic amount of money. 10,000 talents. Now, that was a monumental debt. Huge. Beyond hardly what we can think about. And of course, the servant is confronted with his debt tries to make some idea that he will pay it back. That's impossible for him to do. And what does the king do? The king releases him, forgives him. And you see what the picture is there? The picture is about our monumental debt before God. The debt of sin. And sometimes when confronted with it, where we realise what we are, in God's sight, sinful. We think we'll do something about it ourselves, as this man did. You know, I'll, I'll repay, I'll start doing things. It's impossible, you cannot. The king in our parable releases him. And this is what God does. For those who trust in Jesus Christ. He releases them. It'll pay it because Christ has paid it himself and borne the cross. So if you're awakened to your sin and the realisation where you stand before God, it's not that you seek to pay back, but you come imploring for mercy, repenting, and there is forgiveness. And the extravagant grace of God is that he does forgive. He does forgive. He knows all about you. He knows all about me, but he will forgive on the basis of what Christ has done. So that's amazing forgiveness. And of course what we've read is the servant goes out. And he sees someone who owes him a hundred denarii. Now that's actually four months' wages. So you think what you might earn in four months, and for some of you it'll be a lot, and some maybe you think not so much, but you can think. It's not insignificant, this hundred denarii. It's, it's quite a bit. And he goes, and the person he speaks to says this, have patience with me and I will pay you. Those words should have rung a bell. Because that is the exact words that that man had said to the king. Have patience and I will repay you. Because he doesn't. And he aggressively chokes him. Pay what you owe. He's not going to forgive. He's not going to be merciful. You know, the expectation of those who have been shown much mercy... And have known the and know the forgiveness of God is that they will be forgiving, and the great realization 
Interesting, isn't it? Friendships that were once there can be strained, broken, can exist in the church and in families, can't it? Every attempt should be made to forgive and restore. Because the gospel is the ground and the basis for that. Now what do we see? The wicked servant is reported to his master and the master says, well, I gave you so much and you didn't forgive. And what happens? He experiences the discipline that comes from his hand. That's true. We're living as a Christian, if you're living as an individual, and you haven't forgiven where you should forgive people, then the Bible says the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. There will be discipline. So that he, you, will learn the lesson. And so as we finish today, on this passage, or these passages that speak about reconciliation and restoration. I want to ask one question. Whom do you need to be reconciled to? One question. Whom do you need to be reconciled to? You can answer that. Is it to God? Do you need to be reconciled to God? As I've said a number of times now, he will forgive those who repent and those who ask his forgiveness. He can do that because of what Christ has done on the cross. You can be reconciled to God forever and not under his punishment and wrath. But maybe you sit here today and you know you need to be reconciled to someone else. Maybe someone's sitting here. You know, I don't know. Don't seek retribution, but seek restoration. And earnestly desire that. Let's come before the Lord. Let's pray.